Andy Bowden raised a great question for product managers on LinkedIn last week. Do you show your value through quantifiable results? If so, how? And if not, why not? Many of us struggle coming up with numbers that reflect what our employers seek from us. Now, I thought this was a really great question, partly because we hear so much of a drumbeat about being data-driven. How do we show our successes using data, and I'm using air quotes, when so much of what we accomplish is more qualitative? Well, I'd like to be able to use numbers to buttress my success stories when I tell them, if I can, but the reality is the more important components of the stories are the transformations, both personal and business, that I enabled. The numbers contribute, but the transformations engage. So that's sort of my first point, which is that numbers are not everything. Now, I do think it's funny that so many product managers try to find quantitative results from their analytics tools to drive decisions, when the most powerful computer known to humanity, which doesn't just deal in numbers, by the way, of course, is the one between our ears. It's far better at pattern matching, at finding and interpreting weak signals, and making sense of sparse data than any software product. I know it kind of sounds like, I just think we're smart and people should trust us. Our big brains are coming up with the right answers. And this is actually half true. We were hired because the hiring manager and her team saw something in us, some product sense. And what is product sense but educated intuition for the most part? Of course, we all know there's tons of cognitive errors that humans make, no matter how powerful our computer is, and we need to guard against making decisions based on some of the faulty reasoning our brains are capable of. So the interesting and legitimate question is how do I persuade others that the analytics I'm getting from my brain are worth listening to? And this may tie back to Andy's question eventually as well. Now, I've diverged a bit from the original question in this episode, and I'll have to get back to it in a future episode. But in this episode, I'm going to talk about our big brain, why the big brain is often and perhaps usually all you've got for making important product decisions. I'm going to talk about the kind of cognitive biases and types of faulty decisions that our brains can make and how to overcome those. And we'll talk about evidence, both qualitative and quantitative, and how to use it to inform and defend your decision. So does this sound good? I hope so. Hi, this is Nels Davis, and you're listening to episode number 92 of the Secrets of Product Management podcast. You can find the notes for this episode and links to all the resources I mention at secretsofpm.com slash 92. Now, the goal of this podcast is to give you the information and insights to help you create better outcomes. The episodes are designed for you to take action on immediately. I want your mind racing and you thinking to yourself, I can do that. I am leveling up. I always feel that way when I do these, actually. So before we get to the main topic, if you're just getting into product management or you're busy leveling up into more senior PM positions, either one, don't forget there's a ton of resources in my previous episodes on storytelling, persuasion, prioritization, working with developers, working with marketers, and on my website. And if you want to accelerate your leveling up, consider working with me. Check out the link on the show page for a free 45-minute coaching and discovery call. There's no obligation, but maybe we'll find out there's a good opportunity for us to work together. So let's get into the episode. This episode is something of a work in progress, and that's why it's going to overflow into future ones. As I mentioned, it was inspired in some ways by Andy's LinkedIn question, but the ideas I'm going to talk about have been coming up again and again in this podcast and elsewhere. Like, what does it mean to be data-driven? Well, the fact is that customer interviews are data, as my guest Noah Gannat reminded us in episode number 83, and we live in an environment of extreme uncertainty where we don't really have a lot of data, as I discuss in episode number 72, We have to depend on heuristics and mental models to help us come up with good decisions. And I talked about some good decision-making tools just a few weeks ago in episode number 89. 
And when can I trust my intuition to make a good decision, and should I? But not only have I been talking about these ideas, there's two new books from Galaxy Mind Thinkers, one's a Nobel Prize winner, that are all about improving our thinking. One of them is Think Again by Adam Grant. One of them is Noise by Daniel Kahneman. Kahneman, of course, being the Nobel Prize winner for essentially inventing the field of behavioral economics. Now, the ideas in this episode are strongly influenced by these guys and by a bunch of other books as well. In Blink, his bestseller about how we have intuitions that are inscrutable but correct, Malcolm Gladwell describes how experts can think without thinking, like how a very experienced art appraiser can recognize a forged artwork but not be able to explain how she came to that conclusion. And as we become more and more expert, our intuition gets stronger and stronger, although, of course, it's still subject to cognitive biases. Now, one of my favorite books about how to use your big brain more effectively and how to mitigate some of those cognitive biases is Douglas W. Hubbard's How to Measure Anything. I should also mention Decisive by Chip and Dan Heath. The whole point of Decisive is to give people tools for overcoming cognitive biases in decision-making, and I used a lot of their ideas in episode 89 about decision-making hacks. So this isn't really just a book list, this episode. I want to really talk about why it's so important, especially for product managers, to be thinking about these things. Well, the reality is that sometimes, often, all we have is intuition and qualitative data and our own big brains to make a decision, and often it has to be made right away. So you're going to bring to bear, of course, your own experience, your experience of other tools, examples from the world, metaphors and analogy, but it's often in the context of not knowing what you'd like to know before you get started. In other words, not having enough information to make a really a decision you can be really highly confident in, just having to make the decision anyway. And oftentimes the only way to get the data you need, if indeed you can get it, is to start doing something and testing the results. Now, in this world of uncertainty that product managers live in, though, we have to learn how to use our big brains effectively to get the best results. So what are the benefits of using your big brain? Well, it is much better at pattern matching than any algorithm that we know. But it can also easily be fooled, so that's something to watch out for. It's good at detecting a problem even if you can't explain what it is. Now, this is what I often call a weak signal, like that tickle at the back of your mind when you're interviewing a customer that what you're hearing from them is significant even if you can't put your finger on it. And your brain also has far bigger data bandwidth than any of our tools, and it takes a lot more into account. So it's thinking about all kinds of different things when it's like getting information from a customer. It's also getting their body language. It's getting their affect. It's getting the things that they didn't say. It's getting their tone of voice. It's getting maybe when they express some, an idea literally, that, but they mean the opposite of that idea the way they express it. Now, all this means is that in many cases, your gut feeling, your intuition, is going to steer you in the right direction. And this is especially true if you have doubts about something. Since our brain's most powerful ability is avoiding danger, and in some ways it lumps all dangers together. So having a customer complain about a feature you created is nearly as bad to your brain as being eaten by a lion. Not quite as bad, but nearly. So we have this incredible computer between our ears. It's amazing for a lot of things. But in business especially, it's gotten a bit of a bad rap, and this is for good reasons. People make bad product decisions based on asking the wrong questions or based on their own perception of what's important, that leads to companies failing. This happens a lot. So hence the drumbeat I mentioned earlier to be data-driven. The idea being that data is not subject to these problems. But in fact, data on its own doesn't tell you what to do. That still depends on your decision-making abilities. 
and how well you protect those abilities from cognitive declines and other kinds of mistakes. So what are the dangers? Well, I've mentioned all the cognitive biases. There's a ton of them. And in particular for the types of biases that are based on our own observations, since we're kind of solo players in the world of our companies, typically it's one product manager and then a bunch of other folks. So some of the biases that we are particularly subject to are things like recency bias. What did I hear most recently? And things like only hearing the, the complaining customers and not hearing the customers that are, that are happy. Now, your colleagues are likely to be biased differently, so their critiques will help to recenter everyone. That's a way to mitigate that. But the other one is another danger is bad calibration. And this is the subject of much of Douglas Hubbard's book, How to Measure Anything. Calibrating your intuition effectively by doing things like considering how wrong you might be, that is kind of your error bars in your decision-making, and your confidence intervals can significantly improve your intuitive decision-making, and he has a lot of instructions on how to do that. How do we mitigate these things that can go, go wrong? One thing, of course, is to back up your decisions with data to the degree you can. Now, the reality is we don't often have a lot of data, and if you're working in enterprise software like I do, you may have some data, but you don't necessarily have enough data for it to be statistically significant for a lot of the questions. Even if you have a lot of users, the particular things you might be asking about or want to know more about, you can't get statistically significant data for. The other thing about data is that you don't just get data, you need to think and act like a scientist and have hypotheses and then start testing your hypotheses. And there's some ways to do this. And if you think about experimental science, this is how scientists work. They make prototypes. They, they call them experiments. We call them prototypes in product management, typically. And make sure to ask the invalidating questions, not the confirmation questions. So two different things. Make prototypes and test them. And then while you're testing them, ask the invalidating questions. It means, obviously, you need a list of invalidating questions, not questions of, do you like this, but questions more along the lines of, what's wrong with this? Or questions along the line of, how often do you do this? Is this? Do you do this process often enough for it to be worth solving? You need a null hypothesis. This is a fundamental component of being a, scient a scientist doing data collection. The null hypothesis is essentially that the current situation is good enough. And you need a clear statement of the criteria to invalidate your idea and, of course, to validate it, the sort of the flip side of that to validate the idea, your idea that there's a problem worth solving. You want to consider the error bars on the data on which you're basing your decision and the likelihood of your decision-making process to be flawed. That was, that's what the book Noise by Danny Kahneman is all about. It's about how potentially flawed your decision-making process might be in terms of systemic bias. Now, even if your data is qualitative, it's still data and subject to some assessments as data, such as, how often have I heard this? How trustworthy is this instrument? Meaning like the person that I heard it from. Is this a person who just complains all the time? Is it a person who's otherwise happy? That's going to influence how important you take their opinion to be or the thing that you learn from them to be. You're going to ask, how can I test this idea in another way? Or is this an outlier? You know, another thing you can do is get other people's opinions and critiques. Now, we all, often all have different biases. And this is actually the fundamental reason it's so much more valuable to have diverse teams. Their biases are likely to be different and are more likely to cancel out or complement one another. And finally, having a lot of mental models that your big brain can use to make sense of the situation 
and to arrive at a plan of action is super valuable. And thinking like a scientist is one such mental model. Simply knowing there are cognitive biases is another mental model. I'm going to do an episode soon on the Kanefin model, which is a model about how to make sense of the world. It's so-called sense-making model. Not a phrase I love, but uh, Kanefin's pretty interesting, and it really is applicable, particularly one part of it is really applicable to what we do in product management. I'll put a link to the sh- in the show notes to an article that I have on my blog about Kanefin that you can take a look at to learn more. So bottom line, there are myriad ways to validate data, and many of them can be used for qualitative data and for your intuitions. You know, for example, a useful question to ask is, does this data have the appearance of being the result of a systemic problem in my instrumentation? Now, again, your instrumentation may be the people you're talking to. And what could cause such a systemic error? And this is true. You can ask this not just about your data, but about your intuition. Does this idea have the appearance of being the result of a systemic problem in my thinking? And what could cause such a systemic error? You want to you want to take a look at that. You have to sort of step away. Um, obviously, closed-ended questions like, would you buy this or do you like the solution, is one way to have a bad instrument. Another way to have a bad instrument is to only ask a particular set of clients that are that are similar in some way, which means they're likely to have the same kind of problem. And unless your goal is to solve a problem specifically for that set of clients, if you're talking to them and trying to get general knowledge about your overall set of clients, you may be looking at a bad sample. And so those are some things to be thinking about. Now, if you listen to my recent podcast on decision-making hacks, which is episode 89, Two of the techniques I describe are exactly the types of tools you use to increase the quality and calibration of your decision-making. I talked about building perspective, finding another alternative solution, one-way versus two-way decisions, and pre-mortems. And in particular, building perspective and using different approaches to build perspective on a decision you're making or on an idea that you have is super valuable for getting, for eliminating certain kinds of bias. The idea of building perspective, of course, is you say, you, you can. there's two or three different ways of doing this. There's probably multiple ones, but I mentioned two in the episode. One of them is to, instead of just thinking about the decision from the current standpoint, think about assuming you've made that decision, what you think about that decision in, in a week or 10 weeks or a year or two years. So you sort of move far away from the decision and look back on it and say, what do I think about the decision from the far removed perspective? The other really good way to build perspective is to, is to assume that it's not you that has the decision to make, but it's a friend, somebody who you are advising. And that person comes to you and says, if you were in my situation, what would you do? And think about the advice that you would give to that person in this situation, which might, which it often turns out to be different from your default mode of thinking about the decision if you didn't take that outside perspective. So those are just two ways of increasing the quality and calibration of your decision-making by taking an outside perspective, and there's a lot of other ways to do it. So there are a lot of ways to protect yourself. There's also the old favor of hedging your bets. What if what can you put in place now to present a, prevent a disaster if your decision turns out to be wrong? So no matter how calibrated your decision-making tools, there's never certainty that a decision is a good one, so you want to have some backup potentially if you can, and that's why you want to hedge your bets. So let's talk about three things you can start doing today to put some of these ideas into process. I've given you all kinds of ideas. Some of them you can probably leap on right now, but here's some things you can do. 
First of all, assess your situation. What are the characteristics of decisions where you might not have to depend on your intuition? So this is actually the flip side. There's an article, and I'll put a link in the show notes, by Shelley Rowe in Forbes. There are two types of decisions that are less dependent on intuition. One is where you have really good data and your options can be calculated or estimated. Things like, is it time to reorder the toilet paper? Definitely no intuition needed for that decision. And the other one is if there's a long track record of experience around the situation and the right decision is clear based on history. Of course, just as an aside, in today's world, even a lot of the received history type of situations are changing rapidly. So you can't always, know, you can't always count on what worked yesterday will still work tomorrow. But this is the case where you want to take a look at the decision you're facing and say, do I need to use my intuition in this case or do I have data or experience that tells me exactly what to do. And if the answer is no, you don't have that stuff, then you have to start depending on your intuition. And of course, at that point, you have to start thinking about all these implications of that. So I would suggest learning, this is the second thing I suggest, learning about the cognitive biases that impact your decision-making and your understanding of the world. I recommend starting from the Wikipedia article on cognitive biases, which lists a, lists a bunch of them, and also the great book, the Invisible Gorilla by Christopher Shabris and Daniel Simons, which is the first book that I read that really explained a lot of amazing things to me. And I, it's an easy book. It's an easy, quick read. Very enjoyable. And you will, if you haven't read it, you will know a lot more about cognitive biases than you do now, probably. Um, really good book. Highly recommend it. This does sound like a book review podcast. I don't know, but it's not really, because I'm actually going to mention another book in my next point. So number three, as I often do, I recommend learning about how to calibrate your intuition using How to Measure Anything by Douglas W. Hubbard. I think of the business books that I have read in the past you know, couple decades, the ones that I think are, have been the most valuable to me is Decisive by Chip and Dan Heath, which I mentioned earlier, How to Measure Anything by Douglas W. Hubbard, Crossing the Chasm fits on that list there's a and i actually have a whole book review or recommended books podcast episode i'll put a link to that in the show notes but those three right there if you read them you're going to be head and shoulders above where you might be if you didn't have those things so i hope you found this episode interesting and useful i as i say i recommend taking a look at some of these books data has become one of my favorite topics i'm kind of a numbers geek myself even though i'm normally pretty negative about simplistic approaches to analytics and so-called metrics, as you've probably detected. The reason for my negativity is that I do know numbers and statistics and uncertainty, and I've read Douglas W. Hubbard's book and things like that. So I'm going to continue on this process of talking about data and how to use it effectively and what is data. And also, eventually, I will answer Andy Bowden's question about how to use data in your own stories and how to come up with quantitative results in your own stories and how to make your stories sound quantitative even if you don't actually know the numbers. So there's some techniques for that. So if you have complaints or comments on this episode or any other episode, you can drop me a line on the site at secretsofpm.com slash 91, uh, sorry, 92, that's the episode number, or let me know on Twitter and LinkedIn. I'm Nils Davis on both. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast in your player of choice if you haven't already, and be sure to share this episode with your friends and or enemies, depending upon how you felt about it. Until next time, this is Nels Davis. Bye-bye.